Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Father, we are, we are here. <laughs> we're, we're here. We made it. Uh, Lord, we are coming from all sorts of places this morning. Lord, some of us are scrambling. Some of us are, are dead tired. Some of us are uh, excited to be here. Lord, we're, we are just people. We're weak. We are fragile. And uh, it's, it's easy to move from one to the other uh, really quickly. And so, Lord, whatever state we're in, you are the one who's called us here. Lord, you love us. You you keep us, uh, we are your people, and you use this time. You call us and you gather us every week for worship because it's good for our souls, because it's what we need to live in this world in relationship with you. And so, Lord, we, we thank you even if we don't feel it. Lord, we thank you for giving us everything that we need uh, today, in this week, in this place, in this time of worship, in this community, through your word, through your presence, through your spirit, through your people. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we long to love you more. We long to be more freed of our sin and our self-focus, uh, more aware of your love, more able to love like you. Lord, as we, as we think about love today, 
in this, this season of Advent, Lord, we ask you to come and do something that I can't do and that we can't do for ourselves, Lord. Uh, no words that I say are going to break through our hearts and our minds, but that's only the work that your spirit can do through your word. And, and nothing, no efforts that we can make on our own apart from you can avail to any degree to change us or free us. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that, Lord. Awaken us today. Awaken us right now uh, to, be a, to be awake to your presence, to be engaged with you, to be in intimate relationship with you, Lord. Use this time. Use your word, Lord. If there's anything that I say that is not of you, would you make it fall flat? Lord, if there's anything that I need to say that I don't, would you speak it to our hearts through your spirit? And we love you. And we, Lord, thank you for these, uh, the children that led us in worship this morning. Lord, help us to see that we really need them. Uh, we really need them to remind us and to show us what it is to live like little children as you call us to be your little children dependent on you. So Lord, come do all the things that we need. Uh, do it in your power and in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I'm Matt, pastor here at Midtown West. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm going to start off by asking you to, uh, to think about something and for us to be a little vulnerable. So first, if you in the last few weeks have had any thoughts to the degree or, or something like, I wonder if God has forgotten about me. I wonder if I matter to God. I wonder if he's paying attention to my life. Would you just raise your hand? Okay, keep, keep your hands up. Thank you. Uh, if you've had those thoughts over the past month or year, raise your hand. Okay, raise them real high. Okay, I want everybody to look around and keep your hands up. You're not looking around enough. Look behind you. Okay, pretty universal, right? Y'all, we, we live in a world, we, we've been talking about this, this is Advent season, this is where we celebrate the, on the, the Christian calendar, which is, I, I love when I say that, it makes me think there's like little calendars that all Christians have, but on the, the Christian calendar, Advent is a season before Christmas where we anticipate the coming of Jesus. Advent means coming, and we are people who live between the comings. We live between, Jesus has already come once, and he will come again. And so in this in-between time, we are still in this world that is still broken. It's still affected by sin. And in this in-between time, Jesus has come and he has inaugurated his kingdom. He has, he has infiltrated the darkness. And that's why we do the candles. That's why Christians long, long time ago, many, many hundreds of years ago, began to celebrate Advent and have the lighting of these candles. And each week is a different theme. And this week's theme is love. And each of these themes represents these things that we are desperate for, we are hungry for, we are longing for, that are, that are built into us. These are good things that need to be in the world. They, they need to be in us. And we were made in the image of our creator. And he is these things incarnate. And so um, the light is breaking into the darkness. Is Jesus, when he first came as a baby, as we celebrate Christmas time, and he came to, to be crucified for us, uh, and he's died and resurrected. It says uh, in scripture that he will come again as a conquering king. We'll see him as he is. He will put all things to rights and we will get to fully experience all these things that are breaking into the darkness now. Love, faith, hope, joy. These will be 
all day, every day, for all eternity in our perfect relationship with God and with each other. But now, we live in a world that is dark in many ways. And so we, we, we live in this in-between, the already but not yet. We know that this kingdom is coming. We know that it's for sure, but it's not today. It's not yet. It's not fully expressed. It's not fully experienced. We still have sin in us. We still have darkness in us. Uh, even though Jesus has come and he has made us new, he is also making us new and he will make us new. So we are in this mysterious in-between and there's darkness in the world. And we feel that darkness. We, we succumb to disease. We succumb to the evil of other people. We succumb to natural disasters, to all these things, uh, futility in our work, futility in relationships, abuse in relationships, all of these forms of darkness we live in. And Jesus is coming and he is saying, I have already come and I am coming and my salvation is sure and my love for you is sure. And so it's a little bit like the world that we live in. It made me think um, this year we took our kids to Universal Studios. And so we were there for a few days in the park from like sunup to sundown. And I started thinking the world now is a little bit like if Universal Studios was our full existence. It is this place that at first it appears exciting. And then once you're there for a while, it really drags on you and brings you down. And you eat this food that's terrible and you start to feel worse. <laughs> And everything is shallow. Everything is just a facade. And maybe I'm painting a picture that's a, a, a little too grim of the world. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? We, we find ourselves in a place, and, and, and we know this as humanity. We know that we find ourselves in a place like this where things aren't right. They're, they're being projected to us as if everything's great, and this is exactly how it should be. But somewhere deep down inside of us, even if we're not a Christian, we know that that's not the case. And, and if you wonder about that, just look at how obsessed we are with stories about this. Like so many movies, so many books, uh, The Matrix, WALL-E, which is basically Disney's version of The Matrix, um, Stepford Wives, um, AI, Minority Report. I mean, I'm just like spitballing here, but all of these movies, all of these stories, Hunger Games, where it's like we, we are trying to pretend, Truman Show, uh, I can keep going. We, <laughs> We are trying to pretend like and live in this illusion that everything is good, but in the quiet places when we are not focused on getting something and we, we just sit with ourselves, which is why I think we have a hard time being quiet because we don't like to do this. We don't like the way this feels. It's scary to think about. Things are actually not okay. And all the things that the world is selling me are not actually things that bring me life. And really, when I come down to it, all that the world can really sell me is material things or try to turn people into material things so that I can use them and manipulate them to just feel okay, to feel comfortable. It makes me think about that scene from Wally, e uh, where you see all of the people on this, I don't even know what it is, the space station, you know what I'm talking about. And, and they've all just grown severely obese and their bodies are falling apart and these robots do everything for them. And it's like, this is great, it's luxury. It's like, no, 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 it's not, you're dying. Like, this is not what you were made for. And so let me ask you all this question. We're gonna connect a few dots. Raise your hand real high if you are somebody who wants to be able to receive love and give love to other people. This is not a trick question. <laughs> okay. Uh, raise your hand if you want to experience intimacy with God. And if you're not a Christian, if there was a God, raise your hand if you would want to experience intimacy with this su superior being. Okay, so 
I'm not gonna make you look around again. Everybody raised their hands pretty much. Um, you didn't, I'm just kidding. I didn't point to <laughs> So what if, what if the answers to these two questions are somehow correlated? What if because we live in a world that is like Universal Studios, that is like the worlds created in all of these stories that we watch and listen to and read, what if there is something in the experience of what it is to be human now in this world that I am going at times to feel like, and maybe it's even necessary for me to feel like God has maybe forgotten about me, and maybe that is somehow linked to him helping me get to a place where I can give and receive love to other people and give and receive love from him. And, and that is, that's where we're going today. That's what, where this passage is taking us, is it's this reorienting, or maybe even orienting for the first time to the, where we find ourselves. It's like the, the mall kiosk map, like you are here. This is where we are. We find ourselves in this world that is full of darkness, but it's also full of light. We have these feelings that we don't quite know what's going on. There's this God supposedly who is interacting with us and he has a plan to make all things new, but we can't feel it all the time. So where are we? What's happening? And so if you've been with us, you know that in this Advent season, we've been in Isaiah, this book of prophecy where God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. All a prophet is is somebody who God speaks to and they're basically God's mouthpiece to their people. And so we've, we've been in other passages in Isaiah uh, a little further back. Uh, Israel and Judah are kind of God's people. The kingdom separated. They've been divided. And now they're two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, uh, the, the passages we've read up to now uh, address them. And Assyria has come and just wiped them off the map. And so now all that's left is Judah. And they, they are also going the way of Israel. They are finding themselves in this world where they are biting hook, line, and sinker on everything the world has to offer them. They are turning away from God. They have continued to turn away from God. They'll have little seasons where God brings them back, but they keep turning away. And he says, I, I'm so full of grace and love and mercy for you. But if you do not turn, you, you will be, you'll be taken captive. You'll be ruined by this world power that's coming and the people don't listen. And so God, even in his mercy, even in that overtaking by Babylon, he's saying that this, this nation Babylon is gonna come and is gonna overtake you and is gonna wipe you out and take you into captivity. And even this is a mercy because basically what he's doing is he is getting to his people to save them, get them off the wheel of the cycle the endless cycle of life in Universal Studios' existence where everything is shallow, everything is false. We keep falling for things that, that aren't really life-giving, but we keep coming back to those things. And he's like, because I love you, I, I'm going to deal very severely with you because I've got to break you from this cycle and I've got to give you eyes to see that this is not all that there is in the world. And so what he's telling his people in this passage is... Um, you are going to be, it's like Liam Neeson and Taken. You are going to be taken. Uh, but listen, like I'm coming for you. And that's essentially what he's saying here. And he's saying, not only am I coming for you, but it's, it's like this prophetic mountain range. It's like we see this one mountain and then we realize that there's actually like a whole range of mountains behind it. He's speaking through this megaphone, through history to his people in this moment, but also to us. And it's echoing and rippling out because what he's saying is, you right now are gonna be taken, this generation of my people is gonna be taken by this 
nation of Babylon, but I'm going to bring you back. And when he starts saying bring you back is when we start to hear the echo, because what he's really saying is I'm going to bring you back from this captivity, yes, but I'm actually going to rescue you from all of slavery of all time, the deepest slavery, the slavery of your hearts. I was able to take you out of Egypt, but I can't take Egypt out of you unless I intervene in this way. And so he is speaking to them. He's speaking to us in this passage. And this is where we pick up. In these first few verses, um, we're, in, we're in Isaiah chapter 49, if you want to turn there in your Bibles uh, or on your phones. These first few verses, this, this call, listen to me, this is our Jesus. This is a, Isaiah is speaking the words of Jesus before Jesus ever walked the earth. And he's, he's giving us a picture of what's coming. And Jesus is saying here, listen to me, everyone. Everyone, not just Israel, not just the nation, the people of God. Listen to me, all of the people all over the earth. I am the one who is coming. I am the one who is going to set you free ultimately from all of this slavery. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. The whole reason I am coming is, is I'm a freedom fighter on this mission to free all of God's people throughout all of history. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. He's giving me the words of life. When I show up, I'm gonna tell you the truth about who God is, who you are, the truth about this world, and the truth about the mission of God and how he's working in this world and in your life. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And what he's saying is, I, I'm not just going to come with the words of life. I'm actually coming to do something with my life. I'm this polished arrow. That word polished means purified. And it's this picture of Jesus being purified through suffering. Even though he is already sinless, even though he is already pure, the Lord is using every ounce of suffering that he will experience as he walks the earth to teach him, to continue to grow him and continue to teach him in his humanity how to love and how to serve God and how to follow God. It says in Hebrews 2.10, it says that um, it's fitting that the one who is coming to save us has been perfected by suffering. And he's saying that it's not just my words. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to live it. And I'm going to be like this weapon. I'm going to be like this sharp arrow that's hidden away, hidden in the shadow of God's hand. No one is going to know. No one is going to be able to anticipate what's coming. No one is going to be able to anticipate the way that I'm coming to save all of God's people because no one would ever believe it. Even if they heard it, they wouldn't believe it. That this God, with this, this God of this sinful people, is going to come and live in their place. It says uh, in verse 3, Jesus says, and, and God the Father said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. So Jesus says, I'm going to be named as Israel, which is the people of God. And what's, what's happening here is he's given a clue of what's going to happen. I am the one who's going to come and live in the place of God's people. I am going to be the representative of what it really is to be in relationship with God. This is what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with God because I'm sinless. Because I have known God and loved God from my womb, from the womb of my mother, and I've never rebelled against him. And so I'm going to live this life on behalf, this perfect life on behalf of God's people. 
and I'm gonna die the death that they deserve on their behalf as well. And so it, it's this mind-blowing, this, this hidden, this secret weapon that God is gonna pull out just at the right time, and it's like the enemy's not even gonna see it coming because he never expected that to happen. The enemy of God thought that by killing Jesus that he was gonna ruin all of God's plan but that was actually the enacting of God's plan. That was God's plan all along, is that this Jesus, this God, fully God, fully man, would suffer in the place of God's people, that he would live a perfect life so that his death could actually substitute for ours because he didn't deserve death. And so he is gonna go to the cross, and through his death in our place, he is gonna free us from all sin, from fear of death, from fear of condemnation, he is going to break us free so that we can have life with God forever for the first time. He has made this possible. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Think about what this means. Jesus, the perfect man, the only perfect human to ever live, who knows Intimacy with God in its highest form that we could ever experience on this earth. This Jesus, as he was living this perfect life, had moments where he said, I don't think this is working. As he looked around and he saw the brokenness in God's people and he saw the brokenness even in his disciples, these, these men who he was pouring his life out to for three years Every waking moment they were together, he was loving them. He was laying his life down for them. He was teaching them. He was guiding them. And in these moments, as he watched people respond to the truth of God in the world, as he watched people respond to the signs of healing and God's love and God's presence, and he watched them reject it and reject him and walk away. Even Jesus had times where he was like, I don't, I'm afraid that this is not working. I'm afraid that I've spent my life, that I've lived all of this time for nothing and my strength has been poured out, my very life has been poured out for nothing. Yet, this beautiful picture of faith, this is how I feel, this is what I see, yet, that's not controlling. What is controlling is what I know about my God. Surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Surely, surely he is telling the truth. Surely there is justice. Surely there are things that I can't see. Surely he loves me. Surely this is, this is all going somewhere, even though it feels like it's not because of who he is. And so this Jesus who even, even he worried that this was, was not going anywhere, kept his eyes on his father. And then we see in the next couple verses, um, it's actually greater than he ever knew. That, that God's salvation is not just for this little nation of Israel, but for the whole world. It says, and now the Lord says to our Jesus, the, our God says to his son, he, he who formed me to bring Jacob back to him, to bring his people back to him, and I'm honored, and he has given me all the strength I need. He says, in verse six, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant just to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will actually make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
So not only is it working, not only is this going somewhere, not only have you not spent your strength in vain, it's greater than you could imagine. Because what you have just done, you, my polished arrow that I have sent at the right time in human history, you are making salvation possible for all the nations, for all the people. And so now, as Jesus in this passage is comforted, now in verse 7 is the turn. Now God the Father and God the Son both look at us, his people, and say, even though you are deeply despised now, even though you feel very low now, there is a time coming where even kings, even the proudest, most powerful people in all of the world will come running to you, you, God's people, because of what he has done and what he is doing through Jesus, through you. And so this is where we pick up and we get reconnected to those questions at the beginning of the sermon. It's when we feel like, is God paying attention? Is any of this amounting to anything? Jesus is saying, I felt that. That is the feeling of living life with God in this world. And now when we say, I want to know what it's like to love. I want to know what it's like to be able to love. We were made more than for anything to love God and love other people. And we find ourselves in this world, in this place, in these bodies, in these, these souls where that's not possible without God's intervention. And so now he has come and he said, I am working in this darkness even when you can't see me. And I'm setting you free and I am using you. I'm going through you as a vessel to the world to continue to set the rest of my people free. And here's what this is going to look like. Here's what this is going to feel like. And so when, when you find yourself uh, after this morning uh, struggling, having a hard time, suffering, uh, go back to this passage starting in verse 8. Now God the Father and God the Son are looking at us and they're encouraging us and they're saying, hey, let us reorient you to life in this world right now in between the two comings. In a time of favor, I've answered you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. Like I have saved you. You are evidence that this is working. You have come from death to life. You have gone from darkness to light. Look at yourself. And maybe look at all the people around you who thought that'll never happen. But yet I have saved you. And now that I have saved you, it says in halfway through verse 8, I will keep you and I will give you as a covenant to the people. That's where, that's where I want to hang out for a second. I will keep you and I will give you. That is, that is our experience of life in this world. Both are evidences of God's love for us and both are very necessary for us. One, I will keep you for all the days that you walk this earth, now that you are mine, now that you are my son, now that you are my daughter, I will keep you. You don't ever have to fear. I am your shepherd. I go with you. I go before you. I'm your protector. I'm your guide. I am your, I am your maker. I'm your husband. I'm your shield, your defender. I will keep you. You don't ever have to worry that you will be by yourself. I will always be with you. I will always be leading you. I will always be helping you. I will always be keeping you. And 
I will give you. I will give you away. And that's what we just saw. That's Jesus' experience. God's son, whom he loved so deeply, he will keep him and he will give him. He kept him and he gave him. And now us, his sons and daughters, I will keep you, but I will also give you. And that word give means to bestow on someone in a, in a specific way. I will give you a way to specific people to bring my love to them. You will suffer in this world by giving your life to the people that I put around you in love so that they can have life. When he says, I will give you as a covenant, I don't know if, if you know this or you've been with us when we've talked about this, but um, a covenant, when people made a covenant back in this, this culture, they would take an animal and cut it in half and they would walk through the pieces together and say, if I break this covenant, may I be like this animal that's torn in two. And, and this father who loves us is saying, I will keep you and you don't ever have to worry. And I will give you as a covenant. You, like your older brother Jesus, will be torn apart for the sake of others. You will be torn apart and suffer because of love so that others may have life, so that others may see the Jesus in you, so that the light of salvation that reaches to the ends of the earth would go to the ends of the earth through you, through me. That's it's difficult to be encouraged by that, right? How do those things go together? I will keep you and I will give you away. And yet it is. And he says, you, you are the light of the world now. Remember when Jesus said that? You are the ones who are gonna go to the prisoners in slavery and say, come out, I'm here to set you free. You are the ones who now, me living in you, is gonna go to these people who are in darkness and say, you don't have to live in this anymore. Let me show you the way home. And listen to this, starting in verse 9. When you and I come out of darkness, as we have, when those who we go to, who come to faith, who come to life in Jesus, as they come out of the darkness, here is our experience. They shall feed along the ways. On all the bare heights shall be their pasture. He's saying, you're going to be in desert places. And when I save you and bring you to myself, I'm not going to bring you out of the desert. You are still going to live in suffering. You are still going to live in circumstances that are going to cause you pain. And yet, I will keep you. You will feed on these bare, barren heights where nothing can grow. You will have enough to eat. And in these bare, barren deserts where there is no water, you will have springs of water. I will give you everything you need in these places. Why or how? Verse 10, because he who has pity on them will lead them. Because this Jesus who has already given himself, who has already torn in two for us, says, I'm not going anywhere. I am your shepherd. I'm with you. I'm leading you. He is the expert. It's like watching um, on Discovery Channel, like Planet Earth, and you see the desert, and they show you these incredible plants and animals that can survive on like no water. 
And you're like, wow, this is amazing. And these, these animals and plants were tailor-made to live in this environment. It's kind of like that. It's like, wow, this miracle that we can survive in this place, in these circumstances, and it's because we have this guide who's spent a lot of time in country who knows the way to all the springs of water. And he will never leave us, and he will, leave, he will lead us to life, to water, to healing, to restoration, even as we remain in this desert place. And here's why we remain in the desert place. Verse 11. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. And behold, these people shall come from afar. And behold, they're going to come from everywhere, from the north, from the west, from the south. How is it that all of the mountains, you go to the highest heights, the most remote places, and the, the light of salvation will go there? And you go to the deepest depths and the darkest valleys, and the light of salvation will go there. And it'll be like the whole world is a highway. The whole world is this straight, flat, perfect place for everyone to be able to see everything. How is God's message of salvation going to go out like that to the whole world? Because you and I are going to still be in all of those waste places. He is going to have people on the highest, most barren heights of the most remote mountains. And he is going to have people in the darkest valleys who he is sustaining, who he is leading, the one who has pity on, the one who shepherds his people is shepherding us. And other people are going to see us in those waste places, and we are going to be feasting, and we are going to be drinking from living water, springs of water. And they're going to say, how is this possible? And that is how the gospel, the love of God through Jesus is going to go out to all the earth like it's all this, this one big highway is because he's leaving us there to bring our brothers and sisters home. He is making us just like our older brother, Jesus. And in verse 13, we get this celebration. Sing for joy, O heavens. Exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Because the Lord has comforted his people, he will have compassion on his afflicted. He's calling for creation to witness that his plan of salvation is happening. It is sure. It is going to be complete. And he's calling on creation to witness because all of this involves all of people. So creation's all that's left to witness. It's this celebration, this stamping of this objective reality that God's future is sure. It's so sure that we can talk about it in past tense. But then verse 14 but that's not always our experience because we can't see all of this. But God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Even in my, my best moments of following Jesus on this earth, living life in this world, I still have moments where I'm like, I, is he, did he forget about me? Is he still with me? And of course, the answer is a resounding yes. In these verses that follow here, starting in verse 15, look at where he goes. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Okay, I, I see some right now. Raise your hand if you are a mother of a child in the last year. Okay, uh, somebody tell me, can you forget this baby that you have? Okay, why not, Haley Baker? 
Yeah. He's a part of me. I love him with all the love that I have. And, and aside from the love, it's my whole world revolves around this infant. Our time, our, our schedule, our resources, this is my whole world, and this is what God is saying to us. You might feel like this, but you are my whole world. <laughs> I have sent my beloved son into this world to suffer and die and be ripped in two for you. Do you think I will forget him? Do you think I will forget this? Do you think this is some project that I dreamed up and thought, nah, maybe I'll do something else instead? I cannot forget Jesus. I cannot forget you. You are in this place where it is still dark, where the light is breaking in, where love is breaking in, where you are learning how to love. And I'm using you to set other people free. But in this place, you can't see everything. You can't know what's happening. And so I'm coming and I'm reminding you of who you are to me. And he talks about uh, one who is one who is about to be married. Uh, it's a picture of a man. It says, um, you know, in this culture, when, when people got engaged, the man would go away and build on a room to his family's house and then go get the bride and bring her. And he says here, uh, Behold, your walls are continually before me. All I can think about is building this room so that we can get married. The builders are making haste. They're going as fast as they can. And all of this darkness, all those who would destroy are fleeing from you. And all of those who see and hear the message of God's love for them are flocking to you. And all of this is happening now. Lift up your eyes and see. They gather, they come to you. And, and we end here with, as I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on, all these people who are coming as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. You, you and I are a part of this, this mission, God's mission in human history to complete his family, to bring all of his people back to himself so that he can marry himself to us forever when he returns. The second coming that we are all now waiting on. And so now in this time, as we experience this pain of living here, it is a gift. Even though it feels like death sometimes, it is a gift. Because what he is doing is he is teaching us how to love. And I can't know God if I don't know how to love self-sacrificially. It would be like, um, I got to see Bono perform recently, and, and U2 is one of my favorite bands, it would be like if you know, he and his wife got married. They met in high school. They've been together since they were high schoolers. It would be a bit like if, if his wife never saw or heard him perform or listened to any of his music or read any of his lyrics. And their whole ex experience was devoid of that whole area of his life. Like he is an artist, that is the gift. That is how he is in the world. That's how he expresses himself. And to think that they could have this deep, intimate relationship where that whole entire universe of his existence is not even in the picture and she could relate nothing to that. It's not possible. And we don't often think about it like this, but we are saying, God, we want to know you. We want to feel close to you. We want to experience your love for us and we want to love you back. We want to know how to do that. 
He's saying, I know, and I love you, and that's why I'm allowing you to suffer, because you can't, apart from suffering. Because Jesus is the one who shows us who God is, and that's his whole existence from the womb. I came here to suffer in love to the death for you. And if, if we don't experience that, not just talk about it, but live it and see how it feels. It's like when you're a, a student and then you become a teacher and you realize, oh man, this is hard. And you think back to your teachers like, wow, like I see how much they love me. Or like a, a child who becomes a parent or, or a player who becomes a coach and it, it allows them to look back on these people in their lives and say, wow, like I had no idea what this meant. It's, I mean, this is what it is for us to be the people of God. It's like this God has loved in this way to the deepest degree. And he's allowing us through our suffering to experience this, to receive love from him, to give love, and to have the life, the intimacy that we are dying for. But we've been sold a lie along the way that we can get that without suffering. And so in this passage, he's reorienting us and saying, no, no, no. Suffering is necessary, but you don't have to fear it because I'm going to be with you the whole time. I, the one who was torn in half for you so you can trust me, I don't just talk the talk, but I've actually lived this. I've walked these roads. I've lived in these deserts, and you're safe with me. You can trust me and entrust yourself to me, and that's where you will find life. That's where you will find love. Jesus, thank you for giving us love. Thank you for giving us life. Father, thank you for seeing fit to save us, to rescue us in this way. Thank you for your infinite mercy and grace that you do not leave us to our own devices. You come to us. You continue to come to us. As we continue to run from you, you have saved us. You are saving us. And you will ultimately save us. There, there's a day coming where all of our sin will be no more. We will no longer have to experience it. We will only live in perfection with you. As we live between this day and that day, help us to be like our Jesus in this passage, who is honest about our suffering, honest about our pain, and yet that is not what defines reality. Your goodness, your character, your promises, your word is what defines our reality. And send us out in love for our little brothers and sisters who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen.